Well, we're in Romans 14, and uh, Romans 14 begins this way. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. So here we begin a rather interesting discussion in the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter is Romans. It's very similar to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there's an issue that is dividing the church of Corinth. And it's an issue that has resulted from the fact that, that people have come from a Gentile pagan background and they become fathers of Christ. And, and there they are eating meat uh, in their meals that have once been offered to idols. And so one of the hot button issues back in that time in the mid-50s A.D. in the early church is it acceptable for Christians to eat meat that was once offered to an idol. Now, Jews, it was not. And Jews, because of their dietary laws and other things, simply could not do that. But for Christians, it was an interesting thing. And it, it's just like the we have controversies today. Can we do this or not? There's been controversies in my lifetime over the King James Version of the Bible, of what style of worship is acceptable, uh, you know, this or that. What do we do? And so here, here's this real controversy, and Paul has to deal with it. An overarching argument is simply that idols don't represent anything that's real. Those aren't real gods. It's not a real anything. And so there was no reason that a Christian simply couldn't eat a meat that was once at one time from an animal that was offered to an idol. But, Paul says, because it is an issue for some, then Christians need to be aware of the feelings and sensibilities of others. And if it's going to cause controversy in the church, then for now... Set aside your freedom and your right to eat that, at least in the presence of others who don't have that freedom, who don't feel comfortable, and don't eat of it. Say no so that you don't cause other people, he says, to stumble. And so this issue is what's coming about here in Romans also, as well as what days to celebrate. And so Paul is going to deal with this whole issue once again. And, and apparently you know, there's different ideas of which people were struggling with it. Most likely it was people who were followers of Christ who came from a Jewish background. And they just struggled because of their tradition and their understanding with this idea that you could take an animal that was offered to whatever God, and, and, and especially in a place like Rome, it could have been offered uh, to Saturn, it could have been offered to Neptune, it could have been offered to whatever god or goddess. And you can eat of its meat. But, but a lot of people said, you know, there's no such thing as, the idols aren't real gods and goddesses. It's just, it's a false religion, but it's meat, and meat was precious. It was scarce. And so it's okay to eat of it. And so Paul talks about the one who is weak. And from the idea, Paul's overall opinion is, if you just, it doesn't take much to read that, that it's not an issue for him. It's okay to eat that, but he'll lay it aside. And so what we're going to see is, is a principle throughout here about how do we deal with people within the church for the sake of unity and the glorification of God and the advancing of the gospel, not to get caught in problems. How do we deal with certain types of disagreements? Now, we have to understand, this is about a moral conscious issue. This is a very specific thing. Idols, which is represent a false religion, offering sacrifices, should we eat that meat or is it corrupted? Is it ungodly? And so it's a real moral issue. And we, we need to learn to, to separate certain issues. I, I've had people, for instance, tell me uh, that uh, they, they find, for instance, doing certain types of things on Sunday. It used to be you couldn't do anything on Sunday, but go to church and then do nothing all day. But if you go to the movies, it's a sin. If you do this, it's a sin. 
we need to understand there's a difference between Christians who are supposedly mature placing legalistic restraints on people and young Christians or less mature Christians who are struggling with immorality. For instance, if I go to a movie on Sunday, you know, it's in the middle of the day, I go to a movie or I go play golf and someone says, you shouldn't do that, I'm basically going to probably come up to me and say, you shouldn't do that, preacher's a sin. I'm going to tell you, mind your own business, it's not, go away. You're interrupting whatever I'm doing because you're not coming at it from a position of struggling. You're coming with it from a position of condemning. When you take a position of condemning, you are not following what's going on here. That's not your situation. You're doing the opposite. You're being judgmental, which is dealt with. When you, when you come to me and say, David, I struggle with something, and that's never been a struggle, trust me. I deal with that with people all the time. That's a different thing. Let me give you an example. I've grown up as a Baptist all my life and, and, and understood that technically, you know, Baptist, there's no words written down. We don't drink. I get that. But we actually, we've always drunk. And we always had, you know, alcohol. It's just that, you know, we always hit it really well. Uh, that's why two, when you go fishing, two Baptists have to go fishing to make sure no, there's no beer involved. Otherwise, it's just one Baptist. There's probably going to be beer involved like that. We live in a time now where a younger generation of, of Baptist preachers are coming up that like to drink a little wine. You know, they're all into this micro-brewing of beer and stuff like that. I don't know what that is. And, and then I've had young guys say, oh, I have a right to drink. You shouldn't, people shouldn't oppose it. I mean, I said, and I get that. But a lot of people struggle with drinking anyways. And so here's what I tell them. I'm a Baptist pastor. Now, I don't drink. There's a lot of reasons for it. I've made that clear many times. But part of the reason I don't is because when I became a Baptist preacher, I signed up for that. If I really want to drink, I could become a Presbyterian and drink. If I want to be a drunk, I could become a Methodist. It's whatever. <laughs> no offense to all you Methodists. Don't, don't be offended. Anyways. But I understand. If, if I go out and I go out to Chile, Sunday I was at lunch at Chili's. And I drink alcohol, and some young new person coming to our church, or even someone else sees that, that may really cause them a spiritual problem. That's not I'm playing golf at 3 o'clock. That's, that's a different, it's a moral issue. So I give that up. I, don't, I, I love to play poker. I love to play poker for money because I've always been good at it, and I'll take your money. But I don't do that very often. I don't do that at all anymore. I quit that in college. I quit. Why? Because as a pastor, I feel like I have a mic out to do stand-up comedy. I feel as a pastor that, that I can't. It's wrong. And, and I'm, that man talked about going to Vegas. I just don't want to go to Vegas for that reason. And, and because I understand that I have to consider other people's struggles. Now, there may be things that I go and talk to someone about. They struggle with something. I'm going to say, hey, let me talk to you and help you with it. But understand, there's a fundamental difference between a, a Christian, especially a young Christian, maybe a less mature Christian, who is struggling and we're trying to help them, than somebody being sanctimonious and judgmental. So accept the one who is weak, but don't judge them for it. Here's what you do. He says, one person has faith. He can eat all things. But one is weak and eats only vegetables. Now, by the way, let me just say, vegetarians and vegans today, this doesn't apply to you. Okay, because the whole point about eating vegetables wasn't out of the fact that they wanted to be a vegan or a vegetarian. It was about the fact that where they lived, all meat basically came from places that uh, uh, butcher shops that sacrificed meat to idols, unless they did their own. Today, 
you know, that's just not the same thing. So being a vegetarian or vegan today, if, you, if you, that's what you want to be, God bless you, I have no problem with that. But this doesn't, this doesn't count to you, okay? Don't try to make this work. He says, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt. Notice what it says, contempt. The one who is not eating. So I, I'm okay with eating. It's like my, my, some of my friends who are, are, are pastors, whatever, and they like to drink a little wine. They look down at other people. They're showing contempt. No, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't show contempt for someone who struggles with that. But nor should the person who doesn't eat show judgment and contempt towards the one, because God's accepted both of them. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. God's accepted us. Why, why do Christians ever show contempt towards any other Christian, especially the same church? I, I don't understand that. Now, we may get frustrated with one another every once in a while, May not understand it, may not even like somebody, but the idea of contempt is to look down at them as not being worthy of the grace of God. That's what that concept means. Notice what he says. Who are you to judge the servant of another? In other words, we're the servants of Christ, so who are we to judge that? You wouldn't judge, if a guy had a servant, you wouldn't judge their servant, it's not your business. To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we're all responsible to the Lord. We all have got our own thing to deal with. So he goes on to talk about the day. And Jews were big on the calendar days. One person regards one day above another, and another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced of his own mind. In other words, there were some people who basically looked at every day as being sacred. And in a sense, it is like that. But that every day ought to be devoted over to the worship of the Lord. And, and, and I understand in the big picture we do devote every day to the Lord. But there were some people who said, no, there's one day that's in particular is special and set aside. And so that's kind of what we say. Every day belongs to the Lord, but one day is set aside. Well, some people thought every day was like the one day. And some people said, no, it's just the one day. And so, okay, it's all right. It's okay. Why, why are you squabbling over that? You're both worshiping. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does it for the Lord. He gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. So those thanks God. They all thank God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. So he's saying this. None of you are living for yourself. You're living for Christ to glorify him. You just don't agree with it. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, wherever we live or die, whether we live or die, we are for the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again. He might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. I had a guy come to me in Laredo. I had brought in one of my professors from seminary, brilliant man, to talk about creation. His unbelievable thing about creation. And, but his viewpoint was that the Lord created the, the earth in seven periods of time, not seven 24 hours. And he talked about that. A guy comes to me, been part of that church a long time, about my age. He was all upset. And his basic premise is, if you don't believe in seven 24 hours, you're wrong. You're, 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 you're against God. I looked at him and said, we, and I believe in seven periods of time. So I said, we both believe God created the world, right? And we both believe he did it seven time, in seven-fold way. We just disagree with how long that period took. And I gave all the biblical evidence, which is, you know, either way. And he basically put me on the side of evolutionists. I said, are you crazy? They deny God created. You and I just disagree with the length of time. 
And he left the church. Good riddance. Goodbye. Don't need that. That's what hurts the church. And, and, and the things we argue, we'll argue over the end times. I so be, I mean, you know, the Bible, the only thing the Bible clearly says is Jesus is coming again. Clearly says that. When he comes, there's a resurrection of the dead. Clearly says that. He's going to clearly have a judgment. And he's going to assign heaven and hell. That is clear. All the millennial stuff, you know, it comes from one passage out of the book of Revelation. You know, and then you've got you to figure out what goes here, what goes there. You take this passage, people cut and paste and all that. That's fine. I don't care. But why would you break fellowship with someone who believes Jesus is coming and we're going to be raised from the dead and we're all going to be judged and people are going to go to heaven and hell based on whether or not you accept Christ? Why would you break fellowship with them? Because they have a different understanding of millennial things than you do. That makes no sense. Happened to me a bunch of times. Paul is saying, you've got to understand what matters. People are dying and going to hell and we're fighting and arguing over what the word day means in Genesis and what the millennial reign is going to be, we're fighting each other. We're shooting one another. Taking casualties. When people are dying and going to hell. And Paul says, you guys don't do that. Don't fight over these little things that separate a church. There's the old joke about a church splitting because they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet. You ever heard of that? That is true, by the way. That happens. It happens about the color of carpet. I've heard of churches that have split of whether they have pews or chairs. Why? Look what Paul says, verse 10. But you, <laughs> why do you judge your brother? Isn't that what it boils down to? Jesus talked about that in Matthew 7, judge not. Or you're going to be judged. And the word judge is to judge the value or their worth in terms of Christ. Why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you guard your brother with contempt? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. We're all going to stand before the Lord. It says, as I have said to the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. Similar to what you find in Philippians. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We've got to give an account of ourselves. So why am I looking at my brother or sister in Christ and trying to judge them? I'm the one going to be judged. Therefore, therefore, is always important. Here's the command. Let us not judge one another anymore. In other words, they were doing it. Knock it off, he says. But rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. That becomes the key. Instead of judging them, am I somehow causing them to stumble? Am I somehow putting in an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister in Christ? And that becomes the bigger issue. And, and we live at a time when the church is heavily criticized in America, and probably rightly so. We live at a time when, when I have encountered people, numerous people, and I have it all my life, but even in the last few years, who have talked about the hurt and pain they've experienced in a church. And I, and I get that, because you know, I understand that. Why, why are we as followers of Christ so intent on hurting brothers and sisters in Jesus. I grew up in Park Hills Baptist Church. And uh, it's the only church I knew until I went into ministry. And uh, I remember we went through a split. It was a bad split. It was nasty. It was uh, brothers fought. 
And, uh, and, and as I've grown older and as a pastor, I look back and I understand things that went wrong. I understand all, I understand better what happened and, uh, am able to judge and condemn those involved with it quite acceptably at this point. <laughs> Walked out of church one day at one of the meetings, business meeting, and one deacon was cursing another deacon. I mean, listen. I understand the temptation to do that. But in all seriousness, for crying out loud, why? Why? Church split. You know, and, and I followed two churches that split before I got there. One was not as bad. One was brutal. And people won't, Christians, followers of Christ, will not speak to other followers of Christ. And they wonder why people don't get saved. Who would want to be a part of that? I wouldn't. Except I ended up becoming a part of it because they, but they had to pay me as pastor to do it. Not near enough. Here's the thing. That is the sin that so often strikes at the heart of churches. We are stumbling blocks to one another. And what it means is this. If we're fighting and there are New believers coming, or the unchurched coming, and they see that, they're going to stumble over that and walk away. We don't want that. Listen, someone get mad and say, I'm leaving because of this or that. That happens all the time. happens probably more often than I even realize it. I can't control that. You don't like something we're doing. You don't like a decision. People leave. They leave. Got it. Understands. Never going to change. But for me to be at odds with you, one-on-one, I don't think much pastor, I'm just talking Christian to Christian, and that be something someone stumbles over. That's pretty serious. It's pretty serious. I know and am convinced, verse 14 says, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything being unclean, to him it's unclean. All right, it's unclean to them. For because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Don't destroy someone over something petty. When Christ died for that person, they'd be saved and you're going to hurt them over something silly, foolish. Therefore, do not let what you, uh, what is for you good, uh, what is a good thing, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Sunday, I'm preaching out the Great Commission. Jesus said, go make disciples. And when we fight, and we're battling each other over silly stuff, we're not making disciples. You can't make disciples when you're fighting over whether you eat meat offered to idols or not, and we're not making disciples of whether we're fighting over what our millennial views are when it really doesn't matter because most of us are probably wrong to begin with. It just doesn't matter. So why don't we do this? Paul's kind of saying, put all that aside. What really matters? What matters? What did I say last week? Honor God? That's what matters. You know what matters? Helping people who are lost come find salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Sunday night, we're going to see all these church planners who have sacrificed 
Every one of those church planters, I'm talking about the real church, the guys who are planting churches, have sacrificed more than I have. I know that. And so I just am amazed at what they give up. We're, we're, we need to worry about what, how do we help those folks make more disciples of Jesus? How do we help them? How do I help young Alex? Alex passed through here Monday night going on his way to Denver. They're moving finally. He spent the night here Monday. He's got there Tuesday driving right back on Saturday. How do we help young Alex and Rachel Dennis, who spoke one Wednesday night, how do we help them be successful in surprise Arizona, reaching lost people? That's put, shouldn't we quit bickering over silly stuff and start worrying about how we're going to help them? Because that's what's at stake. Of course. That's silly. And preachers are guilty of it. I get it. I know. For the, he who is this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. Verse 18. So when we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another, that's what we pursue. Do not tear down, verse 20, the work of God for the sake of food. Churches get destroyed because they can't agree on the color of car. Oh, I didn't tell you, but the church's pews and, and, and chairs, there's actually a church that, that had half pews and half chairs. <laughs> they probably didn't need a baptistry because it probably wasn't going to be used. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So something that can be good or neutral can be turned to evil. Is it good not to eat meat or drink wine? <laughs> it is good, he says, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything about your brother's stumbles. I don't know how many times Baptists have said, see, it says it's good not to drink wine. It also says it's good not to eat meat. And I know one thing most bad, I don't think there are many vegetarian Baptists in life. We love good barbecue, I know that. I know we're having several church events in April and we're, we're having barbecue. I didn't even, I'm not the one who arranged it. We're having barbecue at all and we love our meat. How many of you on, on a keto diet? Anybody? Yeah, I know you are. All y'all, half the staff's on keto. Okay. Well, according to this, we probably shouldn't be on keto. So, yeah. Here's the thing. Don't take scripture out of context. I, I, I wish it had just said it is not good to drink wine. I'd have been so thankful for that. No, Paul had to put the meat part in there, too, so I can't use that to whip people with, you know. If it didn't say it's not good to eat meat, I can just drink wine. I could beat people over and over with that. Doggone it, Paul. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. So you have convictions. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with you having, you having one conviction about when Christ returns. I have another. There's nothing wrong. We're both convicted he's returning. I guarantee you some of you have different convictions about all that stuff than me. All the details, the basics were the same. You, you absolutely bring God created in seven 24-hour periods. I love you. God bless you. If you're right, then God bless you if you're right. And if we get to heaven and I find that you're right, I'm going to say, yeah, you're right. But you know what? We're both here. It don't really matter, does it? Don't really matter. But I'm praise God. You were right. I was wrong. I hope in heaven we don't have to say I was wrong much. Because my wife's going to be there just letting me have it when I do. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. Blessed is the person who does not, in what he's so busy approving and convicted of, condemns himself because of the way he treats his brother and sister.
Man, you know, we all get all caught up in the early part of Romans, and we forget some of the meat of Romans is right here. I mean, that, that may be as important as any other part of Romans. Happy and blessed is what it means. It's the person who doesn't condemn themselves based on what they believe. But he who doubts, notice, is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whoever is not from faith is sin. So here's the thing. If I cause someone who is struggling to break their convictions, they've sinned. So have I. So here's the thing. What Paul is saying is a beautiful chapter. It really is. You know, the, the unity of the church is something that basically is assumed to be natural. Jesus hardly talked about Jesus hardly talked about unity at all. I mean, Paul has to deal with it because churches struggle. If churches didn't struggle with unity, Paul wouldn't have to deal with unity. And I hear sometimes people say the most important thing in a church is unity and all that. And it's really not true. The most important thing about church is that it honors God and reach people for Christ. It can't do that though if there's not unity. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We don't have to be the same. Some of you still like to wear coat and ties on Sunday. That's great. I don't do it anymore. It's all right. It's okay. You know, we have some of our church still loves the traditional stuff. That's fantastic. And some people like the more modern stuff. That's fantastic. You don't have to like the same music. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with either style. Both are good. Both styles honor God. That's all that matters. See, we can still have unity and have differences. There could be unity with two different styles of worship. We could add a third. We could add a classic service with classical music, going to Bach, Beethoven, and stuff like that. We, we, we could have, there's some, some of the churches make our contemporary service look boring. We could go nuts over there. We could have Southern Gospel. There's lots of styles we could have. It doesn't matter. As long as we're focused on one thing. Well, two things. Honoring God and reaching people. And loving one another and accepting one another. So that's what we did. And if you don't do that, if you're judging and condemning people because they don't agree with you on some things that just aren't important, shame on you. Stop doing that. Now, I will say this. I have seen less of that in this church than in my last few churches. Especially my last one. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea what it can be like to be in a church that is completely dysfunctional because of lack of unity as the first five years I spent in Bridgeport. But what I will tell you is this. That church became united before I left. Every church can be focused and united in Christ. When we remember it's not about us. We love each other. It's about honoring God and reaching people. When you make honoring God reaching people the priority, other things don't matter. So, Good principles for us, helping people who are weak, but understanding being judgmental doesn't count. But understanding when people are struggling with certain things. And sometimes we have to make a discerning difference. And though Paul doesn't address it, sometimes we have to go to people who are struggling with things that maybe they shouldn't be struggling with. And I may have to go, you may have to go and help them with that. That's why we teach people. That's why we grow people. That's why we have Sunday school and connect group and we have Bible study and we have uh, Wana and Upstreet and, and Wamba. And that's why we have youth to teach and to help 
so we all mature so these things don't become issues. Okay, questions that you may have. Feel free. Oh, yeah. Thing. I, I think it's, it boils down to pick your fights. So the examples that you cited, you know, yeah, you want to pick the correct fights. If in the church the question is, well, is there another way to God except through Jesus? Well, that's a, that answer has already been answered. So, you know, you have to be united on that. Yeah. And all the other stuff you could probably go on. So there's a few things that you have to be united on. Everybody has to agree. You cannot be, uh, you know, cannot be any question about that. That's, that's just that's one right. example. So that's right. it's, different. It's, different. it's different to say we don't agree on how long God created. But if you say God didn't create, that's a different thing. You're taking something that's clearly taught in Scripture. So that would be a different issue altogether in which, especially as pastor, I would have to correct you on that if you taught that. That would be a different struggle. Correct. I don't know how to word it that way, but yeah, I get the gist of what you're saying. Anybody, anything else? Nope. Oh, good. Show's not here at the moment. Yeah, early. Ha. But Brian... Brian's not even here. Brian was griping last time because I kept y'all here to 715. He's not even here to start on time. All right. Y'all are dismissed. We'll see y'all hopefully Sunday.